figure out what you don't have figured out. Don't worry, I've got it all figured out. Welcome, welcome, I'm glad that you are here. I am Ellery Hall and this is episode 13 of season two and this episode features my new friend Matt Malark. I won't go into the details of how Matt and I met since we covered that in the beginning of the interview, but I am going to tell you that his is a great story. We take about the first half of this episode talking about Matt's personal history, which I had no idea about when I asked him to be on the podcast. I was blown away by what he shared, and I'm sure that you will be drawn into his story as well. The reason I asked him on the show was because of his vulnerability and his willingness to share his faith and those things that matter most to him. So that is what we talk about in the second half. After sharing the perfect way to hang kitchen cabinets, Matt shares what he has figured out about household chores and marital happiness, parenting, and discovering God's path for you and having the patience and faith to live it. So let's find out what Matt has figured out. Matt, thank you so much for agreeing to be on my podcast. I am totally honored and privileged to be on your podcast, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited. I've never been on a podcast before. Well, I <laughs> wish I could say the same, but I've actually done quite a few now. So <laughs> then I don't have an excuse. See, if you make a mistake, everybody understands, hey, it's Matt's first time. Give him some slack. Ellery says something that's crazy. Well, we've come to expect it by now, I suppose. <laughs> well, great. So, Matt, we met because you were installing cabinets in my kitchen. Yes, yes. That was, uh, that was a pretty... Um, yeah, I, I installed your cabinets, and then I began to uh, kind of throw up all my problems. <laughs> <laughs> and the impetus for that was because I was wearing a sweatshirt from The Chosen. Yes. And so you and knew. I was, yeah. yeah, that's right. So you knew I was a believer, you knew I was someone mm -hmm. who cared about these kind of issues, and so I think that's what. Yeah, incredible how um, how something like that, you know, like a, like a t-shirt or a sweater can, uh, can immediately make a fellow believer feel comfortable. Oh yeah, they, they, uh, they think, they, they have at least one point in their life right. where they think like I do, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, great. Well, why don't you just go ahead and dive in? Let's let's find out a little bit more about you, and I'm sure I will learn something from your life sketch as well. Okay. Well, um, well, my name is Matt, of course, and uh, I'm originally um, from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. I uh, I was born in Miami, Florida, and um, to uh, to uh, my both of my parents are from Argentina. They immigrated here in the 80s and I was born in 1983 I'm 38 going on 39 and um, I was born in uh, actually not Miami Fort Lauderdale Florida I, I say Miami because they're right it's kind of like sure. Dallas Fort Worth yeah you know they're right next to each other and everybody knows Miami um, but I was born in Fort Lauderdale Florida and uh, we moved to Georgia um, probably when I was uh, like three or four so I grew up most of my life in in Georgia and um, I have an older brother, I have two younger sisters, a uh, family of four, two boys, two girls. The perfect matching set. I know, right? Um, <laughs> I have, uh, well, I'll skip ahead a little bit, but <laughs> right now I have, uh, I have four also, but they're all girls. Also so a perfect get... matching set, if you think of it that yes, way. Yes, a perfect matching set. I've got a boy um, and three, no, I've got a girl and three boys, so I don't have a matching set. I just have, I've got four kids. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Four kids. 
But um, so uh, growing up in Atlanta, um, we uh, we weren't. Uh, I mean, we were a happy family for the most part. You know, um, my parents. You know, like any parents, they weren't perfect, but they tried. They tried. Uh, they tried their best. And um, me and my brother were super rambunctious. Uh, we uh, uh, by rambunctious. That's like the nice way of me saying bad. We were bad. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, were the kids that would like, uh, uh, we used to climb on the, I remember being six years old and climbing on, in, in Georgia they had a store called Big Star, kind of like a Kroger, mm -hmm. and um, we, at six years old, I would climb the roof of Big Star with my brother to waste all my mother's eggs on people that were walking in the store. That did not happen. That happened? Yes, that happened. Uh, I mean, and we're talking about a building that, um, you know, we're talking about a 20, 30 foot high building. Did, was there a know, ladder like, in like the a, back or something? How did you get up there? No, we would climb up the water pipe. Yeah, it, it's, I tell, I tell my wife these stories and she's like, you're lying. I'm like, no, we climbed up a water pipe and like, we're not afraid of the sudden death that would, <laughs> uh, you know, that would obviously occur if we fell off of that thing. But carrying eggs uh, on top of that, my mother's eggs, which she would always get so mad that we, uh, she didn't understand that we were throwing her eggs out. We weren't eating them. <laughs> but um, oh my god! Yeah, so we were we were pretty rowdy kids. Okay. Me and my brother, and and I was kind of like the scapegoat for my brother. Like he would try all these things that. Uh, that um, he would later blame on me, and because I was, I'm, uh, he's four years older than I am, mm -hmm. so you know I'm a six-year-old kid. He's, he's, he's ten. So whenever he did something bad, I, you know, I'd be the the scapegoat. You know, it was it was Matthew. You know, he did it, <laughs> and I would always get blamed because I was little. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, uh, so we had we, you know, we didn't grow up in a good area is either. You know, we kind of. Uh, my dad uh, worked two jobs many times to be able to support us, and um, my dad actually was born in uh, in California, but uh, his father um, passed away when he was only ten, and my grandmother was from Argentina, so she they immigrated, uh, she immigrated with her children back to Argentina, so my father is actually. Um, you know, born in the United States, but raised his whole life in Argentina. So when he came back to the States, he barely spoke any English. And, uh, and so, and he didn't have uh, an education like, uh, like uh, that's available here. So needless to say, my dad had to work a lot of jobs to keep us on our feet. So we didn't live in the best neighborhood. We didn't have the best environment. Um, uh, so it's not a good match for two rowdy boys, you know. <laughs> uh, so we got in a lot of trouble. Yeah, we got in a lot of trouble, and my brother kind of grew out of the trouble. I mean, um, I think maybe I was uh, because he uh, he was older. I don't know. Maybe he didn't have an, as as much time in uh, in that really rough area where we lived. I I, I was where I was almost born into it, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. He, uh, when we moved from Florida to Georgia, I mean, uh, you know, from three years old to, I would say, uh, uh, 10 years old, um, I lived in, in this really uh, kind of impoverished area with bad influences. 
So I think uh, when my father finally got to move us out of that area, we uh, we moved from out of uh, Atlanta to a suburb called Lilburn, Georgia. Um, my brother really quickly grew out of that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately I didn't, you know, I, uh, I it, it was kind of part of part of my personality and my identity, or at least I thought so mm-hmm. at that point. And um, so I kind of carried the hood with me, you know, in my heart. And uh, so that led me to make a lot of mistakes as a, as a youth. Um, uh, I'll fast forward a little bit. I kept getting in trouble. And when I was 14, I, uh, I was in a, a local street gang. Um, and um, I was arrested because I participated in a drive-by shooting. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I was sentenced to five years in, juvenile, uh, in a juvenile correctional facility. So that was a pretty tough time in my life, very formative years of my life. Right. Um, uh, basically from 14 to 17, I was in a juvenile correctional facility. So very formative years of my life, and um, I am um, in a rough place. Right. <laughs> it was a rough it was a rough place, uh, kind of uh, survival of the fittest. And unfortunately, um, my time at, in, in, in juvie just made me worse. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, they call it correctional felicity, but they don't correct much. You know, yeah, they, what, what did you do with your time while you were there? Uh, you were still well, in school, I, right? No, so, so the way, you know, once you're... Um, you know they call it juvenile, but it but it's 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 basically a prison. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there were guys in there that were, because um, a lot of the a lot of the prisons. In, so basically, you, when when you get arrested for a crime as a as a teenager, and the crime, uh, if you were to commit murder, and you they gave you twenty years, they don't just send you to the big house. Mm-hmm. They send you to juvenile until you're eighteen, and then when you're eighteen, they uh, send you off to to a, um, a state penitentiary okay. or a federal penitentiary, depending on the crime. So there was a lot of guys that were supposed to go off, and uh, but never but never got transferred because they were waiting, because the prisons were too full. Okay. So you know there was a lot of guys in there. You know I'm, I'm a 14 year old. and There's guys like 23 years old. Oh, okay. You know, you know and uh, because they're waiting to get shipped off, then mm-hmm. and they've been three years waiting to get shipped off. It was a rough place, to say the least. So I filled my time with um, a lot of push-ups, uh-huh. <laughs> P- push-ups, fights. Um, uh, surprisingly, I actually learned um, to be a reader in uh, uh, in, in juvie. So, so I, I I did pick up that good habit of reading. I love to read mm-hmm. and I can that can be directly correlated to my time in juvie because that was my escape. I'd get a book and I, w- I wouldn't care what it was. I would just read it just to es- Fast forward, I get out of juvie. Uh, I'm 17 year old. I've gained 50 pounds of muscle. <laughs> oh my gosh, from, okay. I weighed 120 pounds when I went into, uh, into juvie and I came out, you know, about 170 pounds. And how tall and, are you? Uh, I'm not very tall. I'm I'm about five six. Yeah, well, that's you know? that's a lot of muscle on a five six frame. Yeah, yeah. I'm just throwing that <laughs> yeah, out there. I was, yeah, 
my friends uh, when I got out, and even my family, like, what the heck happened? To you? <laughs> <laughs> and and my one of my buddies, like, you got like that just eating sandwiches, you right. know, because that's the joke, you know, you just eat sandwiches all day long. So I got out and I I did chill out on the violence, but I did. You know, I was partying a lot. Um, I couldn't go back to school, so I had to get my GED. I, I wasn't allowed to go back to any of the schools where my parents lived um, because of my crimes. Mm -hmm. So I had to get my uh, my GED, which I did, and I got a job. You know, so here I am, 17, framing houses with this guy from our, my dad's church. Really, I wasn't framing anything. I was just carrying all the lumber for Right. <laughs> you know, they were using my... my my strong young body to basically be a mule. Mm -hmm. So I'd do that during the weekend. On the weekends, I'd party with my friends. There was a lot of drug use, a lot of uh, alcohol, and a lot of, um, just a lot of bad things. Sure. You know, I was very promiscuous. And all the while, my parents, my parents, I forgot to mention, my dad, um, right when I was about 12 years old, my dad became a pastor. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, my dad and my mom, they were uh, faithfully attending church. My dad was a worship leader. And then when the senior pastor of the church was going to start another church, they left and asked my dad if he wanted to be the next pastor of the church uh, where we were at. And so my dad accepted that. So all this time, um, I'm living a really rough time. My poor parents, you know, they took the, the brunt of it all, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask if you were still living at home when you got out of uh, detention. I was. Yeah, my, my parents, I think, you know, they uh, they really tried. They, didn't, they really, in, in, in a real sense, didn't know what to do with me. Sure. I remember my dad said, hey, when you come out, you're going to have to start going to church if you're going to live at the house. And I was like, okay, yeah. And But then when I got out, <laughs> I, I didn't go to church, mm. you know. I didn't. You know, I didn't, I, had, I didn't care a flying flip about church. You know, my dad put my dad, my parents in a hard position, like, what, are they going to kick me out? Right. You know, uh, they wanted the best for me. They, they wanted me to know Jesus and know the, re the rewards of a relationship with him. They just really didn't know how to deal with who I was in that moment, which was very rebellious, very, uh, very headstrong and... Uh, unfortunately, too brave for my own good, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't very uh, scared of yeah. consequences. Didn't have any fear like of the consequences of the choices you were making. Yeah, pretty much. So that lasted a couple of years. So when I turned 20, um, it, it, I did have some good habits. You know, I did work hard during the week. I learned how to cut uh, wood. I know how. To, I learned how to measure. That I did pick up things along the way, and I was a good hard worker. That, that's one thing I, I can I can say about myself, I learned to work hard. And I was pretty dependable um, as far as work goes. So my, I think that, that helped my parents a lot, you know, they're, they're kind of like, there's hope for him, you know? Well, at least he's, he's doing crazy. this. Yeah, at least he can hold yes. down a job. At least he has that. Yeah, he's kind of crazy, yeah. but he's a good hard worker, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> and um, so I think that to uh, appease them, you know, they never stopped uh, trying to talk to me and uh, give me good advice. and. They never, they, they never gave up on me, and you know that, which I'm grateful for. But when I was 20 years old, I had been partying heavy into drug usage at this point. And one day I get invited to a party and um, at this guy's house. And you know the big thing with guys is you know if you're gonna go to the party, where are the girls, right? Mm, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was the kind of that was the kind of environment we were in. So this guy tells me, hey, uh, there's going to be girls at this party. Let's go. And I'm like, okay. 
And uh, when we get there, there are girls there, but I immediately know that they are not, they are underage. Mm. I could tell. I, like something sparked in me. I, I, I'm like, what the heck is this? You know, why are these little girls here? Like, I'm thinking, where are your older sisters? Did you come with your right. older sisters? You know? And I go to one of them. I'm like, how old are you? And she's like, very, very, in a very like, and I'm, I'm kind of ashamed to tell this story a little bit, but I think it's, it's, it's good for you to know this was a significant moment in my life, mm-hmm. a, a significant trajectory change after this. She was, she was, had to be like 13 years old. And I said, you know, how old are you? And she wouldn't, she didn't want to tell me. And she was like, what does it matter? Like very, almost trying to be seductive. And I'm like, how old are you? Like, a, like very sternly and angry. Mm-hmm. And she, she said she was 13 years old. And I, uh, 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 like a switch flipped inside of me because I am, um, I did bad things, you know, I, you know, I did drugs and I had done a lot of bad things, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom what the guy who invited me to this party was thinking. Mm-hmm. And it disgusted me to the point where that I went up to the guy who invited me to the party and I just, a bolt came loose in my mind. I just, I started to attack him and we started fighting. And a bunch of my other buddies got got me off of him, and I st- I was started crying, I, I, like I was crying, like and yelling and cursing at him, and 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 insults and threats all over the place. And I left that place. I, I got in my car and I left crying, and I felt so dirty. It was the first time I really realized like where my life could take me because I realized obviously. My the people I was around, they were not afraid of crossing boundaries like that. Mm-hmm. They were so desensitized by the way they were living that they were willing to cross those kind of boundaries. And for me, I had done bad things, but I was nowhere near that degraded in my in my soul mm-hmm. yet. But I but I realized like I could end up like that. Right. So I felt really disgusted with myself and with the friends that I had chosen in life. And I remember I, that night I went home, I, I went and drank, drank my sorrows away, you know, and, I, and then the next morning I woke up and I felt even dirtier than the night before. Mm. Almost like a violation of my soul, you know? I got into my car, it was like seven in the morning. I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to kill myself. I'm gonna commit suicide. And I, uh, I saw a car coming down a road, and I get into the other lane, and because I thought, you know, this will be a, a quick end to everything. And um, the last second, I chicken out, and I go to the side of the road. I just start to weep and cry. And I remembered in that moment the Lord, you know, the 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 God that my parents were serving, and I, uh, I called out to Him. I said, Jesus, if you're real, I need your help. Uh, I need you to save me. I didn't see the skies open up. I didn't have some miraculous vision. But I did feel the presence of God so strong, probably stronger than I've ever felt in my whole life, come into that car with me. And I felt so strongly his forgiveness and his, uh, and his purity, you know? Mm-hmm. Because I felt so dirty, but I felt his holiness and his purity. And I understood that he was willing to give me that and impart that same purity to me. And it happened right in the car, right there in the car. Like I, I said, I want you, God. 
I will change my ways, just save me from, from myself, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was a very powerful moment. Um, that was the moment I first believed, you know. And I, I went home, I drove home uh, crying, like crying tears of joy, tears of nervousness. I, I mean, I did, there was, my emotions were all over the place. Right. And I get home and my, my parents, they, uh, they're big time coffee drinkers. So like the first thing they do when they get up is like, not water, it's coffee, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, they were sitting at the table drinking their coffee and I come in, I burst through the door crying and my dad turned as white as a ghost. Like, he, you know, they knew what kind of person I was. They, they didn't know everything I was doing, but they know I was doing bad stuff. Mm -hmm. And my dad, I, I, I remember his face got so white. He just started, like, stuttering, saying, what, what happened in Spanish? ¿Qué pasó? ¿Qué pasó? Yo, what happened? What happened? What happened? And he probably thought, that's it. This kid has finally done it he's finally killed somebody you know <laughs> you know whatever right who knows uh, yeah you know, he, he didn't know he didn't know what your line was you know what i mean like what will he do <laughs> yeah. he has no idea and um as he came up to me i just threw myself at his feet and started to cry and i started to say i'm sorry and ask him for forgiveness and immediately like both him and my mom it's like light bulb went off they saw the result of their prayers. You know, they had been praying ever since I was 13, you know, 12, 13, um, all the way until I'm 20, you know, praying for, for God to reach their son. And it's like it clicked. If God, he finally reached my, my kid. And it was a very touching moment. I and mean, we were there a good two hours just weeping and sobbing and hugging and... Uh, them assuring me my, my dad I, I just spoke with him this morning um i was i was praying for him this morning uh just like it came to my mind i was because I, I knew we were going to have this meeting i was just thinking you know going through the story in my head and thinking wow my dad has been a great example to me he he for sure was not perfect but in that moment when i started to ask forgiveness he looked at me he grabbed me by my face and he said from the first moment that you decided to walk that path, I already forgave you. You're my son. He told me that, and that always stuck with me because that's the love of a father, you know? You love your children, and, um, and in your heart, you, you, they, they might stray, but in, they're still your kid, and you're still going to love them, you know? Mm -hmm. You can't always choose for them, but you can choose to love them always. And, and, and uh, it was just an incredible example. And, um, and that, was a huge, uh, that was a huge trajectory change for me because um, that day I gave my heart uh, officially to, to Christ. And I, uh, I, I went cold turkey. You know, I stayed at my parents' house for six months. I didn't leave my, my parents' house. Mm. I, I didn't go, I didn't leave, I didn't go outside the door. I stayed there and all I did for six months every day was read my Bible. That's all I did. I would eat whatever my mom gave me. I would be in the living room or in my room, but I would be reading the Bible and getting any kind of materials on scripture, on God's word, anything I could get my hands on within my parents' house. But I was so terrified to go outside of the house because I was so scared to go back to a party or something like that or, or fall back into an old habit. I knew something inside of me knew that if 
I, if I didn't leave until I was strong enough, that I was going to fall back. So, and my parents were super happy, not that I was, uh, not that I shut myself in their, in their house, but that I was safe. Right. You know? <laughs> they were happy there, there. And they see me, you know, imagine, you know, this kid uh, doesn't come home every night. He, 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 God knows what he's doing out there. And now all of a sudden he's in home. And when he's home, all he does, all he's doing is praying and reading his Bible. <laughs> they were, it's a dream come they true, were ecstatic. Right? <laughs> yeah. Or prayer come true. Yeah. Even, even more significant. They were so, um, they were happy in that, at what God had done. So six months go by. I, uh, I was strong in the word. I was strong in my faith. You know, I, uh, I, I knew God was with me and I was strong enough to leave the house. And I was desirous to go back to my friends and preach the gospel to them. Mm. But I waited, you know, I, I waited because because I didn't feel that peace immediately to do that or the strength to do that. Mm-hmm. But after six months, I, I went out and uh, I started uh, my most of my friends, you know, like a lot of them thought I was dead. Oh, like they didn't have any connection with my parents or my family. I kept I one one thing one of the things I did is I kept my friendships and and that lifestyle because I, I knew a lot of drug dealers. I was rolling with a lot of drug dealers. I didn't want them knowing who my family was. Sure. You know because you cross one guy and he he might be a serious guy and he's not gonna go after you. He's gonna go after your family. Right. So I kept that life like I was living a kind of a double life. You know. Like at home, that my parents knew I was, I was doing bad stuff, but I didn't. They didn't know anything about what I was doing, and my friends, they didn't know anything about my family. They didn't even know that they were pastors or anything like that. Um, so when I saw my friends again, they were like, "Well, he thought you were dead, you know. Like we 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 haven't heard anything from you. Had no way of getting. Uh, this was before cell phones, too. Mm-hmm. You know, by the way, <laughs> not not everybody had a cell phone back then. We were st- we still had beepers, you know, <laughs> like. Beepers were still a thing back then. <laughs> well, and beepers were and what the drug dealers had. Like, those were the people who had yeah. beepers for the drug dealers. That's my recollection. It's, anyway. It's crazy, you know, like, um, you know, how the technology has gone. But, yeah. But I go back, and they're like, and the first thing they do is offer me some, some drinks. And I'm like, no, I, 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 I can't. I'm not doing that anymore. I came back to tell you that I've become a Christian that I have met with the Lord. He's changed my life and have been forgiven for all the things that we used to do. And uh, I just started to spill my heart and I immediately saw like uh, their faces change from like, hey, Matt, he's back, you know, to, oh, what, who is this person? This isn't Matt, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, they became very hostile very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my friends spit spit on at my shoes, and said, "You know, get that uh, that Christian stuff out of here." And you know, I'm saying it nicely, <laughs> nicely, right. right? He didn't say that. Um, yeah. He didn't say that, but he, you know. And then another another one of my friends literally slapped me in the face, and uh, told, called me a sellout said you can't you can't just drop things like that you can't just leave leave our uh, our uh, our friendships like that you know like uh, for lack of better our gang he, he said you can't leave our gang like that you know mm-hmm. um, this won't stand you need to make a choice whether you're gonna uh, 
give this up and, and be who we know you to be or, or deal with the consequences. So I looked them straight in the eye, you know, after, you know, I'm not going to lie. After I took that slap, I wanted to punch that guy in the face. Right. I was not used to taking slaps. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it was miraculous because as I, I remember it happened and for a split second, my anger was getting the best of me. And then I just took a deep breath and I said, Lord, you know why I'm here in my heart. You know that I want these guys to know you like like you to uh, to know you the way I know you now, and for you to save them like you saved me. I took a deep breath and I was just completely composed, and I said, "No, listen. I know you guys can't understand this, but there is forgiveness. You don't have to keep living the way you're living. You don't have to be trapped anymore, and I'm not trapped anymore. And and I and I remember I said boldly, I said, and none of you are gonna trap me ever again." And it was the power of God that, like, they remained quiet. It was like God just shut their mouths in that moment. And they were quiet and had nothing to say. And I said, I'm going to keep coming back to you guys. I love you guys. You guys are my brothers, and I want you to know the Lord. It was a miracle, you know, that I, I didn't, um, the Lord totally protected me. I had no, there were no uh, repercussions, you know, like nobody tried to, uh, they, I literally just walked out of that gang, mm -hmm. and nobody said anything. And I, I know that it was the power of God, you know. Nobody came looking for me. Nobody came uh, to exact vengeance for, uh, you know, a uh, abandonment of the, of the family or whatever you want to call that. And um, it was just a supernatural thing, the Lord. It's like he stopped, he, his hand held them back. And I was actually able, out of all my friends, I was actually able to reach two of them with the gospel. One came, uh, I had, I had, uh, I was working at Blockbuster. <laughs> they still had Blockbusters <laughs> back then. Do you remember those? I do. <laughs> I, I love all these things you're talking about. It's very, you know, rem <laughs> it's very reminiscent. Yeah, of listen. Blockbuster, pagers, all these things. It's great. My, my kids, uh, I told my kids that I used to, work at Blockbuster, they're like, what's Blockbuster? <laughs> they have no, no idea. idea. You know, my 12-year-old has no idea what a beeper is. She doesn't know what a cassette player is. It's so funny. Anyways, but I was at Blockbuster, and one of my friends showed up there with his uh, his baby's mama. And um, and I and I remember I rushed at him, and I gave him a hug, and he was thrown off. He was like, what the heck are you doing? Like, you know, like, and I said, how are you? And... I was just so full of, you know, the joy of the Lord, mm -hmm. uh, so full of the Holy Spirit, the freedom that he had given me. Um, and and I was just like, how are you? And, and he saw that joy. So um, and and he didn't he didn't really want to talk to me. He was like trying to avoid me. But I kind of like was hounding him. Hey, man, you need to help finding a movie, you know, find an excuse to right. to help him. But telling him, hey, man, God has been so good and telling him all the good things that have been happening to me. And um, three days later, he found out where I lived. Because remember, none of these guys knew where my parents lived, but he found out, you know, through whatever sources he looked for, he, he had. He found out where I lived, and he came knocking at my door at 6 a.m. one morning. And uh, he start, He was knocking on my window. Mm -hmm. So I... Uh, I go outside and it's dark outside and I'm like, what's going on? I thought somebody died. He's coming to tell me, Hey, this person got shot or whatever. 
And um, and he looks at me and he's crying. He's like, my life is nothing but emptiness. And I saw you the other day. You, you're happy and I want your happiness. How do I get it? And I started to cry so bad because I'm like, thank you, God. I've been praying for these guys, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I prayed with him right there. He received Jesus right there, and he still he is still a faithful member um, at my dad's church to this day. Um, and uh, he was he's even been the youth pastor there. Um, he was the youth pastor, at, uh, I think, two years ago, and then they had another baby, so he took a break from ministry. But um, so he came to the Lord and then another friend uh, came once showed up one Sunday at my dad's church and he had been uh, shot at and barely escaped with his life. Mm -hmm. His car was full of bullet holes and not one of those bullets hit him, which is a miracle. And he came, he's like, man, I don't know what to do. And I, I just got a word from the Lord and, and I just told him, this is your moment. You can choose now to turn from everything and God will forgive you and give you a new life. But if you walk out that door, I, I don't think you're going to survive. I think this is the moment that God has given you to make a choice now. For life or for death. And uh, and he began to weep and he received the Lord that day. And uh, and now he's married. He has, he has uh, two uh, beautiful little girls. He's, uh, yeah, his life completely changed. Out of all my friends, though, those were the only two. Mm -hmm. The only two that made it. Um, I had many other friends that were killed and uh, um, in shootings, and then many that just ended up being in prison and are still there, probably. Anyways, fast forward. Um, Matt, I just later, have to interject here because it's like you have yeah. lived the Bible. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You are the prodigal son. It comes yes. back and you're, you know, you're Saul to Paul. You're going, you're preaching to these people. You're being, you're being persecuted. You're being slapped. You're being spit upon. All of these things and just your, your righteous love for the Lord that took you back to your friends to give them that. I, I'm, I'm astounded at the beauty of oh. this story. Well, it's a it's a redemptive story, and it's um, well, it's the gospel, it's story. right? It's it is yeah. it is the gospel. It is the good news, and it's it's his story. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's um. I tell my daughters, I'm like, you got to remember that your life doesn't belong to you. And you know they're young, and they try their best to understand what that means. Mm -hmm. And I try my best to explain it. I said, you know, God is telling a story, and it's His story. It's not your story. But he wants to use your life to tell his story. Mm. And uh, and my older two are, are starting to understand that. They're starting to say, oh, okay. God is wants to reveal himself to the world. He wants to tell his story to people. But he wants to use my life to do it. And uh, so they're, they're start, the light bulb's starting to go on in their head because... They're starting to go to school now mm -hmm. and understand, no, like, hey, my life isn't about me. It's about it's about the Lord inside of me. He, want, he, he wants to tell people something through me. And my little one was telling me today that they, she's so cute. She uh, She's 10 years old. And I asked her, I said, do you pray at school? She's like, yeah, we pray at lunch every day. I was like, we? She's like, yeah, me and all my friends. 
we take turns and we pray and we've been praying for the Ukraine. Oh, and I was wow. like, I felt so proud. I told her, I said, I'm so proud of you. Like, yeah, what kid, what 10 year old kid is praying at their lunch table with their friends for Ukraine? <laughs> and I, I was just shocked. You know, I was like, like, uh, I was like, good for you, kid. You know, like. She's she's like getting you know she's she's getting it yeah. you know. A few years pass, I re meet my wife. I've known my wife since I was ten years old. Oh my goodness! Okay. Yeah, her parents were my parents' pastors. Okay. Uh, so remember earlier I told you the pastor of our church left to start a new church and left my dad as the pastor of that church. Mm-hmm. Those were my in-laws. Okay. So it's kind of crazy. You know, I've known my wife almost, you know, for, for more of the, mo- the bulk of my, of my life. So did she know uh, about everything that was going on in your life? All the, yes. the roads that you went down? So was she kind of like, I wouldn't say had a front row seat, but kind of knew what was going on? She actually distanced herself. So we were really good friends up until about 13, 14. We went to the same high school. Yeah, and we shared a locker, and she knew that I was starting to get in trouble, but she was still my friend. But I think that at that point, when I got arrested that summer, um, that was the last time I spoke to her until I was about <clears throat> 22 years old. Okay. Um, she, when I got out of jail, her mom, my mom, uh, was desperately trying to, you know, for me to rekindle a, a, a Christian friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, and she begged, uh, my wife's name is Anneli, and she begged Anneli to uh, come and, and come to the house and say hi to me. And and my wife at the time, she was willing, but she knew in her heart I hadn't changed. You know, I, I was still like wicked. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was rough, you know, it was really awkward. I remember I just got out of jail. I had no interest in having any godly friends or any any good people in my life and uh she um she did her best to try to be nice to me and try to just hang out with me that day and then but then after that she she recalls she's like you were someone else you weren't the kid I grew up with um so I I couldn't see you like that you know Mm -hmm. and uh and then I didn't see her again until I, I was saved, you know, I, my life had changed. Mm-hmm. And then our friendship rekindled, you know, because she's like, hey, this is the kid I grew up with, you know. We, uh, we uh, rekindled our friendship. Our friendship t- turned right away. I saw her and I was like, I was blown away. I was like, yeah, I'm going to marry this woman. <laughs> yeah, I just, she, you know, she was, uh, she had faithfully, she had her moments too, but, uh, you know, growing up just like everybody does. But she really committed her life to Christ right around 18, mm-hmm. like, because a lot of her friends in high school were kind of doing their own thing, you know, trying to part the whole party thing, right? And, um, but she, I think at, her, at 18, I think that's how old she was, she went to a camp and she got on fire for the Lord and she's, she's, she, she, um, she gave her life completely to Jesus. So when, by the time I, I, I saw her again, I re-met her, that's how I put it. She was a youth pastor at another church. She was like on fire for the Lord. And uh, and so was I. So I was like, yes, I'm going to marry this woman. <laughs> and um, so our relationship uh, very quickly turned, um, you know, from a friendship to, hey, uh, let's pursue uh, a relationship. And, um, and we did that for about, 
a year and a half, and we got married, and uh, it was great. <laughs> it's still great. We're still married. It's our 15th year of marriage. Congratulations. And, uh, yeah, thank you. 15 years in October, and um, we, uh, I, I, when we got married, she started coming to our church. I was the youth pastor of, uh, of my father's church, and um, she uh, started coming to our church, and we were, we were basically, me and her were, the, uh, were, were working with the youth in our church, doing events, and um, discipling these kids. And I, I've always had a call for missions. I think I shared that with you mm -hmm. the first time we met. And... Um, she she knew that as well, and uh, I said, hey, let's go to Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. Let's do the mission program, and let's let's go to missions. You know, let's give our life to the mission field. And um, right before we moved to Texas, um, we got pregnant with our firstborn. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, our firstborn is Isabella. Um, so. We had, it was crazy because we had just like made the commitment and the decision like, hey, we're going to Texas. And uh, we did the application for the school and we sent our, our, uh, our application fee and everything, right? And, uh, and like the next day or, you know, she's better at remembering mm -hmm. the, the timelines better. It might have been a couple of days. I, it's always the next day for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's more dramatic. But it might have so been a, good. Yeah. It might have been a couple of days. I don't know. But we found out we we're pregnant. And immediately, like, I, I knew, for me, that was confirmation. Because if we would have found out before we submitted everything to go to school, I might have backed down. Like, no, we need to stay here. Mm -hmm. uh, we both had stable, good jobs. We were, we were, um, I was a truck driver in this at this point, and I was making great money mm -hmm. um, uh, driving trucks locally. I was home every day, and um, and she was a, an accountant for a uh, a large um, uh, um, car company mm -hmm. uh, that managed all the accounts of the dealerships in in the Northeast. So she had a great job. We both had great jobs. We were doing well, very well, um, our first year of marriage, and uh, we decided to. To go to, to Texas to come and study at Texas, and um, and then we find out we're pregnant, and there's this thing. If we would have found out before we did all that, we would have. There's a good chance I would have been like, no, let's just keep our jobs. We're about to have a baby. Sure. But since we had already committed it, and then we found out, I, I was like, this is the Lord. You know, this is He allowed us to find out after because we she, she was obviously already pregnant. Mm -hmm. You know. And um, so. Our parents gave us a hard time. They didn't want us to leave, especially when they found out she was pregnant. Right. Uh, so that was tough. You know, we felt the resistance. Uh, you know, both my in-law, because my in-laws were living in, 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 in Georgia at the time as well. Now they live here in Texas. But um, at the time, both of our parents were living in Georgia. And uh, we felt that resistance, you know, but I'm like, no, the Lord told us to go. We're going to go. And uh, so we came to Dallas, six months pregnant. And uh, I started going to school uh, at CFNI, and um, and we had our first child. And I was in school. I got a, a part-time job as a youth pastor at a local church uh, for the first year that I was here. And then after that, I um, it was like an internship. Mm -hmm. 
and then after that internship was over, I uh, I was studying all all the way throughout, and then I st- I got a job uh, um, on the maintenance team for the school, so that was really convenient because mm-hmm. uh, I could work and go to school at the same time. And uh, you know, we started having more kids in the middle of all that, mm-hmm. um, just one right after the other. <laughs> Every, every two years, basically, we started having kids. And I finished school. She also attended school. She uh, graduated from the pastoral program. I graduated from the pastoral and the mission program. And by the end of, of all our, of our studies, we had four children. Wow. Four daughters. And, um, and I, I started to work. Um, uh, I'm a carpenter by trade, so I started to work. Uh, also very biblical. I'll just throw that out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hadn't thought of that that way, but <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny the roads God takes us, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, you pray, God, I want to I wanna, I wanna be like you, and then he'll, he'll, sh- he'll make you a carpenter <laughs> or something. <laughs> um, so our missions are... are our missions goals were definitely um, put on hold and are still on kind of hold for the time being. But it's been a wild ride, you know. I love my daughters. We, uh, we're, we're so happy we came to Texas, you know. This is our home now. We both serve um, as network pastors at our, at our local church here in Cedar mm-hmm. Hill, Texas, called uh, our church called Hill City Church. Network pastor just means I'm a pastor on staff I, um, and uh, I have a network of small groups that I, I oversee. And give pastoral care to, so um, uh, it's a network of small groups. Mm. Those, those small group leaders or anybody within those small groups that needs any type of counsel or help with anything. I mean, they need they need their car started. You know, I'll show up. You know, or if they hey we're we're struggling in our marriage, I'll show up. You know, me and my wife will show up to to help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, any extremes or any uh, non extremes that you can think of. That's kind of our job there at the at the church. And oh, we also do basically the membership course. It's a month course called Grow Track. We run that. So we serve locally in our church, and we're raising four daughters, and uh, trying to be like Jesus every day. Um, we don't always get it right, but we never give up. That's, That's right. The main thing. And He forgives you, so it's all good. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> Amen. It's already been paid so, for. Don't worry about it. Huh. Put it on my tab. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to, I don't mean to be sacrilegious. It starts to be that way, but you know, no, we can get fine. really, um, we can get down on ourselves. I think especially as parents and especially cause we want to do what's right for these kids. And that's kind of why we're parents. At least that's why I became a parent, right? Was to be able to raise children in the way that the Lord would have you do and to be able yeah. to raise children up for Christ. And it's not as easy as you hoped it would be. Just because it's right doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, no, probably the no, opposite no is way. probably true. Yeah, I, uh, I'm definitely learning. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely thankful that my kids aren't as rambunctious as I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was kind of thinking, where's but the justice so much... here, right? Like, if you're a rotten kid, aren't you supposed to have rotten kids? Isn't God supposed to, you know, bring that full circle for you so you can really appreciate but it sounds like that you really repented, so I guess you didn't need to have that situation. Well, or your wife is so righteous that she yes, didn't deserve. Yeah, I, that's probably my wife. Maybe is so I don't know. 
because I still got a little bit of troublemaker in me. You know, you talk to my wife, you'll you'll find out. You know, <laughs> I'm kind of a knucklehead. I'm still a little bit of a knucklehead, but I have so much more appreciation from my parents mm-hmm. because my kids, uh, they're amazing kids. I know every parent says that, right? But <laughs> but my kids are really, um, they're just uh, they're. They're such good kids. They don't really get in trouble at all, and and it's st- but it's still hard to raise them. Mm-hmm. You know, they still have their moments. Um, uh, I have to constantly pull back the reins on how I. Uh... Also, I'm in a house full of women, man. I mean, right. Come on. right. <laughs> like I'm walking on eggshells all the time. How, how old is your oldest daughter again? <laughs> She's 12 years old. Okay, yeah. So you're so you've she... got a whole new storm coming. Yeah, I mean, well, that storm has already started yeah. with the 12-year-old. Yeah, I can only know? imagine, though, you're going to have, because that's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot for you. They'll all so. be teenagers at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. that's going to be fun, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but even as good as they are, they still have their moments, and it's still hard. It's still tough, you know, to balance balance uh, your own emotion with what's best for the child, you know? And, mm. uh, you know, I so many times I find myself wanting to, to unleash how I feel. Right. And, at, at, you know, at the cost of this child, you know? And, and I'll feel the Lord pull the reins back on me and say, hey, listen, you, you, you need to put this kid, their security within themselves, you need to put that before your own emotion. You're, you're a gr- like I've heard the Lord tell me, you're a, man, you're a grown up, you're a grown man and they're children. You know, mm-hmm. don't, you're not the child, you know, you can't have a tantrum. Oh, yep. <laughs> Even in our home where Christ is the center and we have good relationships, it's still tough. Mm-hmm. I just, I think back to my parents and I like, I have so much respect for them because my, my kids aren't anywhere on the spectrum of where I was mm-hmm. when I was that age. Like, I, my, I put my parents through hell and they maintained their their fortitude you know their spiritual fortitude in the lord and trusted him through all of it and uh, i just have a a ton of respect for them now i mean more so than i've ever had you know Mm -hmm. as a parent (laughs) amazing well matt that is quite a life sketch quite a life (laughs) and we're almost into an hour here and we haven't even you know you haven't even detailed exactly what you have figured out even though it does sound like you have figured out how to have a relationship with Christ, how to share the gospel, and yeah. how to how to give your life to Christ, which is yeah. well, I guess that's an ongoing thing, right? Yeah, it, it's continually um, evolving, based on our circumstances and and everything that we're trying to go. But so, what have you figured out? I figured out the perfect way to install cabinets. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't you say know? that here. It would be you know divulging your trade secrets. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I'll, I will I will divulge a little bit. When I first started uh, installing cabinets, like actually putting the boxes on the wall, I would put one box at a time. Mm-hmm. And then I figured out if, you know, when you do that, there's always a chance that one is going to be off and that they, they won't be perfectly level. So I, what I started doing then is I would start attaching all the boxes while they were on the floor. Oh. Like, and made them one giant box, basically. Uh-huh. Like on a run of cabinets, I would... Make one giant box, and obviously you need a helper when you're doing this. I can't, right. I can't lift all those boxes. But then you put your laser line on the wall, and then you, with your helper, you put all the boxes up at once. It's one solid. So it's the. I figured out the perfect way uh-huh. to put up cabinets to get them perfectly level. 
That is, I don't care. It's not, I'm not the only one with that secret. So a lot of, <laughs> a lot of cavernous. It just took me longer to figure it out. <laughs> I struggled for a long time on that until it, it like clicked on me. It's like, oh, if I just attach them when they're on the floor and then put them all at the same uh, up at the same time, they'll all be perfectly level. <laughs> you know. Um, that is a good so tip. I got that figured out. Yes. <laughs> Great. And what else? I know you've got more. Um. You know, as far as uh, practical things go, um, practical at home, okay. Um, I figured out that if I take out the trash uh, and don't leave my wife to do it, she will uh, do the dishes. (laughs) 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 She will not expect me to do them (laughs) because she hates taking out the trash. Aha. So you preemptively Um, do the thing that your wife really dislikes. Yes. To get to uh, to get out of doing the thing that I really dislike. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, um, in in Spanish there's a um, there's a saying that says cada cosa tiene su chiste, and basically it, it means everything has its joke or quirk, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the better translation would be everything has an equation, mm. you know. Like you, if uh, if you're if you're wanting to be um, if you're wanting your house to be cleaner, get your kids to work. <laughs> you know, and you don't want to be all tired and stressed out. Get your kids to work. That's another thing we figured out. Me and my wife were like, we got so done with the kitchen at nighttime. You know, because you come back from 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 work, they come back from school. You help them with their homework. You do dinner, and then. And then by the end of dinner, you're like sitting in your chair, you're drooling because you're just, (laughs) you're so tired. Right. You've given it all. We're like, we figured out, we're like, hey, we're, we shouldn't have to do the kitchen anymore. We figured that out recently, like six months ago. Like, hey, you, the 12 year old and the 10 year old, you guys are, uh, it's Isabella and Sophia. You guys are old enough to start cleaning this kitchen every night. So, So now they clean the kitchen and me and my wife have a, a cup of coffee together. It's great. We figured that out. <laughs> awesome. So those are some practical things I figured out. A more in-depth thing that I figured out is God has a, he has a calling on every life, right? And within that calling, there are many things that we're called to do. You know, we're all called to, uh, you know, represent him here on the earth and, and to expand his family. He wants a big family. I was giving a Bible study the other night, and I was telling him how we're the bride of Christ. The Bible calls us the bride of Christ. And I was telling them one of the functions of the bride of Christ is to grow. Mm-hmm. And I said it's because Christ likes big women. <laughs> <laughs> he likes big women, you know. That's part of our job is to grow. And um, I was so thinking more call- on the reproductive end. <laughs> you know, you get married to have a lot of children. To, yeah, but no. you you were talking just about about beefy women, which I hadn't really considered. <laughs> I like it. Um, where's the cheesecake? It, Let's make this yeah, happen. Yeah, where's the cheesecake? Right. <laughs> but we all have a calling to grow Christ Church and expand it, and that calling um, is in different ways. Like I believe this podcast that you're doing, that's part of your calling. You know, mm-hmm. you're called to bring bring uh, bring attention to the Lord, and I think. This is one of the ways, the many ways that he's put in your in your life to do it. 
So I, I've, I figured out that we all have this calling and that God gives us the special gifts and talents uniquely fitted for us to do it. Mm -hmm. And I figured out that I'm most happy and I'm most fulfilled when I'm doing those things. I am most satisfied and most at peace when I know I am doing what the Lord is calling me to do in whatever season that I'm in, you know? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I've figured out that when I'm not doing those things, you know, um, I'll give you a good example. I know that this season of my life, I have a lot of dreams, and we talked about this in your house. I have a lot of dreams and aspirations as far as the mission field goes. I still have a burning desire to go out to the mission field and preach the gospel to tribes in jungles that have, have never heard the name of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. I still have that burning passion and desire to do that. But for this season of my life, I figured out my highest calling and my, my greatest ministry is raising godly daughters. Mm -hmm. And I can't do that if I'm if my my heart and my mind is somewhere else, I have to be intentional and I know that God has given me the gifts and the talents and the personality to be the best dad I can be for those girls. So that in their minds when they when they envision the father in heaven, they'll you know I'll, there's been studies shown um I wish I had them on hand right now, but I've, I've read quite a few articles on how our perception of God um, can be many times directly correlated to our earthly father. Yeah, absolutely. If you had a dad who was very harsh with you in the way he spoke, there's a good chance as a Christian you might impose that, that perception on your, on your heavenly father. Mm -hmm. Whatever you felt when your dad or mom or whoever... Um, whoever the authority figure is in your life, the way you felt when they harshly spoke to you, a lot of times people are afraid to speak with the Lord or go to Him for things because they think that's, that's how a parent talks. I know the Lord wants me to, uh, in this season, to be a good dad, mm -hmm. to be a loving father, an understanding father, to grow as a father, so that my kids, when they, when they speak to God, it'll they'll have a good a good reference point you know they won't hear this harsh harsh father but they'll they'll hear a loving father who's patient and kind with them and i still mess up <laughs> i still i still definitely uh i get it wrong i read a statistic that says if, if you get it right 33 percent of the time you will produce an upstanding citizen it was a secular uh it was a, a, a secular study, mm -hmm. a psych, psych, psychology study, and uh, it says, you know, if you as a parent get get it right 33% of times, like talk to them with respect, get, model model to them good things, you know, um, uh, altruism, selflessness, and things like that. If you if you do that just 30% of the time, it's like a I can't remember the statistic, but it's like an 80, 80 or ninety percent chance that they will end up they will grow up to be a, a law-abiding citizen, uh, somebody who contributes to society uh -huh. instead of takes away like thirty-three percent of the time. So obviously, we want to get it right more than thirty-three percent, right, right? Right. So I know that's what the Lord's called me to do right now. I have that figured out. I've I've figured out that in this season of life. 
even with all the gifts and things that I have right now, God wants God wants me to use them for my for my kids. So how did you come to know that, Matt? Is that something that you feel like the spirit of his words coming to your mind? How did you come to have that revelation? It's been quite a few ways, being the most transparent I can be right now. Uh, a lot of it has been trial and error. A lot of the way I got to this conclusion is I would jump ship and chase an opportunity that satisfied these other desires that I have, and then it would blow up in my face. Okay. You know, or a door, like I would jump and try to go through this door and it would slam in my face. And it was the Lord constantly like shutting doors and allowing things not to work out. You know, these pursuits, these ultimately e egotistical pursuits, you know, mm. if, I'm, if I'm honest, a lot of the things that I've chased, you know, I've said, no, it's because I want to serve the Lord. But really, I just wanted to do something, you know, right. And make a name for myself. Sure. You know, looking your hindsight's twenty twenty. So when I look back on a lot of those things, I can see my own pride in, in them. But um, yeah, complete transparency, just a, a lot of like, and this didn't work out, this didn't work out. What do you want from me, God? And then yes, also hearing the spirit in prayer, saying, uh, uh, I remember one time I was in prayer and it was, a, it was one of those things, it was like right after I, uh, I chased a job opportunity because I wanted to uh, make more money so that I could get us a bigger, a bigger place, you know. Mm -hmm. I didn't consult the Lord, I didn't pray about it, but uh, when I look back, I was like, yeah, it wasn't just making more money. I, want, I, like, I didn't want to be just a, a cabinet staller anymore, mm -hmm. you know. I wanted something more prestigious, you know. And I pursued that and it blew up in my face like so bad. <laughs> it, it, it did not work out. That job, like, I, I quit, like, within a week. Mm. It was so horrible. And I, I was, like, so miserable. I didn't even last a week there. And I remember I was driving home after I decided, like, to quit. And I was just praying and just weeping and, and repenting because I knew, like, in my heart, I knew I, I didn't have the right motives. Mm -hmm. And I said, God, you know, I just don't know what I'm doing. And I heard the Holy Spirit tell me so clearly, I have provided everything for you. All you need is at home with your family. And it was just so clear and it just hit me so hard. Like, okay, God, I get it. You don't want me to, you, you don't want me to chase every opportunity. You just want me to focus on loving my wife and children right now. And you've provided everything in order for me to do that. I make enough money for us to be comfortable. Yeah, we're not bathing in gold you know, right. in dollars, you know, but I have enough money to, for us to be comfortable. God has provided everything of our needs. And I have a lot of time at home. Like I got, I get home usually between two and four mm -hmm. and I don't take my work home with me. So when I get home, like I can really be intentional with my, my children. And I just saw like in that, it was just like very clearly you know, you get those moments of clarity. I saw very clearly, oh, yeah, God, God, he right now, he, he just wants me to be a good husband and a good father. These other pursuits that I want, these other things, like he knows that too. He knows my desires. He knows uh, my ambitions. And, and they ha they'll have their place in their time. But right now, that's, it's not time for that. Right now, he wants me to be uh, a very committed father and husband. So 
yeah, it's it's been a lot of trial and error, <laughs> a lot of uh, tears, and a lot sometimes even rebuke. You know, mm-hmm. when COVID, like I'll give you a good example. <laughs> when COVID hit, I had a buddy that was in, that lives in in um, Domin- the Dominican Republic, and he's like, his him and his father in law bought a huge amount of masks. Oh, okay. Uh, as an investment. And they were going to get a contract with the government. The government was, the, the Dominican Republic government was going to buy all the masks from them. And they were going to make a killing, mm-hmm. you know, providing masks for the government to redistribute to the people. And my buddy called me. He's like, bro, I got this awesome opportunity. And I was like, it's done. Here's, I'll send you $1,400. And I, I didn't pray about it. I did I just like literally just hit send. Yeah, why? On, uh, why pray about it? It's obvious, right? <clears throat> this it's like a, it's like I'm gonna make I, I'm gonna make twenty thousand dollars from from a, from fourteen hundred dollars you know one of those ri- ridiculous one of the reasons it's just a ridiculous idea right mm-hmm. <laughs> return on investment right well I never saw that fourteen hundred dollars right. again <laughs> because the government I don't know how it happened down there but they ended up giving the contract to someone else probably you know in those smaller governments you know if it was probably a situation where uh, a family member sure. uh, gave it to another family member so they could keep the wealth in the, in the family. Right, right. It doesn't just happen well, in small governments, Matt. We both know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we definitely know that. He called me. He's like, he tells me what happens, and I'm like, I just start to laugh. And when I got off the phone with him, I heard the Lord so clearly say, you can't throw your seeds to the wind and think that they're going to grow. You have to find good soil and you have to plant them. And then he told me, I've given you good soil. It's right in front of you. Plant your seeds in them. And he was talking about my family. Mm -hmm. Like basically telling me, stop chasing an opportunity to make something more of yourself by making more money or whatever. Sow into what the field that I've given you to sow in. And like, he just keeps coming back to that Mm -hmm. for me. And when I listen, I am so happy. (laughs) But when I don't listen, the Bible says, let no man say he's tempted by God when he's tempted. Mm. But every man is tempted when he's seduced by his own lusts, you know? Mm -hmm. So what happens is, you know, something is attractive to us, you know? uh, And if we don't give that to the Lord first, for him to say no this is this is just a desire this is not what i have for you you can be seduced into following your own your own ambitions or whatever which to my shame i still have moments where i do that but I, i'd like to think that i'm getting a handle on it now i'm i'm, I'm getting a handle on like okay god I, I see you've he's blown up so many there's been so many things to blow up in my face i'm kind of just Partly is like, okay, I get it. And partly is like, okay, I'm just tired of things blowing up in my face. <laughs> so I'm just going to listen to you, God. I'm just going to trust you on this, you know? Absolutely. Easier said than done, you know, and we're going to be continually trying to improve ourselves yeah. in that way. Uh, I remember a saying that was like, uh, we are children all our days. Mm. And I think, yep, that's really true. We'll always be our Heavenly yeah. Father's children. And we're always going to be just trying to get it right. Yeah. Well, Matt, yeah. this has been great. Did you want to talk about anything that you don't have figured out? 
Well, I yeah, I uh, I it, what I don't have figured out is kind of along the same lines. I'm I'm still learning, and we talked about this at your house. You know, like I'm trying to find the balance. I hear the Lord saying, "Focus on your wife and your kids. Just be a good dad, right? Mm-hmm. Be a good husband." But I'm a kind of an extreme individual, so like uh, I I don't uh, I'm not very good at being in the middle, like. It's either all or I'm kind of the all or nothing type of type of guy. Sure. So I'm like, okay, God. So part of me wants to be like, okay, God, I'm not doing anything else, right? <laughs> except be a good dad and husband, because that's just in my mind. That's just easier for me to do. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to balance between, okay, well, I can't go to the other extreme and just be lazy with all these other things. You know, like I still want to be uh, faithful to my church. Right. I Active still in wanna, the ministry. Yeah active in the ministry i don't want to just like blow off all forms of ministry until my kids grow up you know i that's kind of the part that i haven't figured out yet like how to balance those things and i think that has a lot to do with just the nature of who i am as an individual you know like i i feel like i thrive better in extremes Mm -hmm. and that probably has a lot to do with how i grew up i was thrust into extremes um very early on and uh so i'm trying to figure out how to be in the middle you know, how to be a balanced individual as far as uh, ministry and my dreams go and the call that God has on my life right now mm-hmm. and as, a, as a father and a husband. So I would say that's what I don't completely have figured out. Well, you know, I may never have that one figured out. Well, you know, it's one of those <laughs> things we just kind of want to have these things figured out when in actuality it's, it's a moving target. Yeah. Right. And you think about balance or you think about these people who are like balancing plates that are spinning or anything. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just kind of this crazy and you call it a balancing act because it's constantly changing and it's constantly shifting. And, you know, you're living in a home with six people mm. and they all have yep. needs and they're all growing and changing. And so it is. It's going to it's going to be kind of a constantly moving thing. And as we're kind of talking about getting it right 30% of the time, ultimately, this is, this is the benefit of being a Christian is because it's not just you, right? Not everything is riding on mm. you as a parent because sure. they have a heavenly parent. And it's like these children are, are on loan to us from our heavenly father. He knows everything and he's the buffer, right? But we're all here to learn. We're here to learn as being parents. They're here to learn as being children in this part of their life. And it's all part of his greater purpose to teach us. I love how you're talking about that, his story, that we can live the gospel. And we don't live the gospel without sin, without trial, without difficulty, without forgiveness. And we see all those things so beautifully played out in the family. And it can be very tempting to try and find, you know, like you're talking about, accolades from the world or, you know, other things that are going to make us feel like we're important and we're significant when really you have no greater significance than as a parent it's perspective like i I, i've been praying for that a lot like god let me see the my life the things around me the way you see them i don't want to see them the way i see them because Mm -hmm. my perspective can be really bad right you know like (laughs) like my filters are, are are garbage sometimes you know like the way I see things, it's it's it fails me a lot. I like I'm praying like God help me to see where I am, who I am, what I'm doing, the way you see it. Because the way you see it is real, mm-hmm. and the way I see it can be 
can be totally false, you know. When you're talking about that moment you had in the car when you kind of first came to know Christ and how he wanted to offer his purity to you. And when you're talking about kind of our perspective and how we can kind of not see things clearly, I think it's because of that pride and our, and our lack of purity. But I think you're absolutely yeah. right that he wants to give us that perspective. He wants to give us the love that he has for all of his children here on the earth. Yeah. But it's very easy for us to lose it. So we have to do it every day. Amen. Paul said, I die daily. Mm -hmm. We need to put that into practice. I I think in our society, like we're bombarded with like being selfish, you know, like uh, hashtag self-care, you know, (laughs) like, like, I mean, we're bombarded with like, take care of yourself. You, you need to be a whole person, you this, you that. And it's like, no, I need to die. I need to pick up my cross Mm -hmm. and I need to take on Christ, the, the Christ mind. But we're still in a we're still in in this uh, in this body, right? <laughs> and it's it's just tough, you know, because mm-hmm. we we struggle, um, and it's hard to sometimes see what's really going on. Like uh, today, I was talking with my dad, and I've been studying the book of Zechariah these last few weeks, and Zechariah is uh, a, a book that a lot of people don't read, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, when you read it, you realize that it's one of the few books of the Bible that really gives you a glimpse into the spiritual realm. Uh, because God shows Zechariah like uh, they're having trouble with the temple. The, the high priest is having is really struggling. And then God shows Zechariah like the behind the scenes, like what's really happening in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And he basically saw all these, uh, the adversary just attacking everywhere. Mm. Attacking the high priest, attacking the temple, fill, trying to fill the, ra- the the temple with rats and snakes. You know, mm-hmm. like, like God showed him that. As I was talking with my dad, I was like, you know, we just get so fixed on what we see in front of us that we become blind to what what's really going on. Like, you know, it's not always I'm just having a bad day. Maybe maybe I need to really like put on my God glasses and see what's going on. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm, maybe I'm being attacked. Maybe there is uh, more to this argument that I had with my wife or this argument with I had with this guy at work. Maybe there's more to it than just me being a human being. I mean, no doubt, a lot of it probably is our humanity, you know, because, I mean, we're, we're flawed. But a lot of times we, we ignore, I think, uh, the reality like, like, hey, no, there's, some, there's someone out there trying to destroy us. Yeah. Uh, mentally, spiritually, and physically. Mm-hmm. That's part of that perspective too. You know, I've been praying for my for my my eldest a lot because um, she uh, she's she's been having some some issues at school with some friendships, mm-hmm. and and I tell her, you know, you know, some of this is normal. You know, kids go through stuff, and you're learning how to uh, respond to other kids when they do certain things or act a certain way. But I said, but don't ever forget that there's also something else going on. You know, we're born into a battlefield, you know, spiritually speaking. And um, so I said, guard your heart, you know, guard your heart and guard it with the Lord, you know, because there is something out there that it's not just, it's not always just normal kid stuff. Right. You know, that somebody's being mean. No, it could be that, that your adversary, the devil, prowls like a lion seeing who he can mm-hmm. devour, you know? Right. Um, so, you know, just keeping those God glasses on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking, you know, the adversary of our souls, he will take anything 
that will kind of get us off balance. And by off balance, Absolutely. I mean that we're not centered on Christ. So you can take this concept of self-care, which has some truth to it, right? Which sure. has some merits to it, but you take it to an extreme and it becomes ugly and it becomes selfish. And the same thing can happen with almost any virtue, right? If you take it to an extreme, yeah. then it becomes a vice. Absolutely. And I think that's what Satan is always trying to do because we can find a lot of good in a lot of places, but if we don't, and we kind of talked about this um, when we were talking at my house a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. that if we don't continually bring it back to Christ and use that as our litmus test, right? Always uh, knowing what right. the truth is and bringing it back to how does this fit in to the gospel? Does it, does it withstand the test of Christ and That's the truth that we know absolutely. is true? And is it taking me away? Right. You know? For sure. 100%. I know, right? I had such a great time talking with Matt and hearing his amazing story. I don't know if I should just stop the show now because I think he really does have it all figured out. Now, of course, I'm not going to, so don't worry. I already have several more interviews with more great people ready to come out in the coming weeks. But before you listen to those, I want you to do whatever it was that you thought you should do while you were listening to Matt. And if nothing came to mind, how about this? What is something that you can do to be more intentional in your current life circumstances? Maybe the situation you are in is not ideal, and there may be things that you don't like about where you are, but when you take a moment to think about the person you want to be in the future, isn't there something that you could do right now to live that life more fully, even before circumstances change? And then even if circumstances don't change as quickly or as dramatically as you hope, at the very least, you will be closer to being the person that you want to be. And through all this, you might just get one more thing figured out. Ba-ba-da-ba-ba.